Yeah, I'm dying up here. <laughs> no, I'm doing a lot better. I've been sick this week. How many of you have had this nasty bug? Come on. Oh, you poor people. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. But, uh, it's good, you know, it's so good to be together. And uh, we get to do something uh, remarkably important. And I hope just because it's common in many of our lives that you don't think it's uh, any less significant or important uh, to look into Scripture, to hear God speak into our lives. That's the intention here. This isn't Chris talking to you, I hope. I hope I can communicate the truth of this book enough so that in these moments, God starts to speak by His Spirit in a profound way. And I think I got, uh, I, I, think, I think I have something to say because I think God has something to say. So uh, let's listen well, huh? And, um, and uh, encounter God once again. Let me pray. Lord God, it's, it is an amazing thing to know that we can encounter you Sunday by Sunday, that we can come to this place, gather as your people before you, and, um, and listen for your words uh, to, to, to be profoundly impacted by truths that uh, we need to hear and need to know. And our God, our prayer is that as we uh, spend this time now as part of our experience of worship, Lord, it too can be worship, Lord. We've sung praise, we've given and now we come to quietly listen so that we might understand, believe, and obey. And um, meet us here, God. For every single person, let us encounter you and your truth in a life-changing way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've been thinking a little bit about the, the title of uh, this, the, the series that we're in right now, The Fallen Series. The more I think about it, the more I like the, 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 the title. And that's no surprise because I chose it, right? But I mean... As I say, the more I think about it, the more I like it because it speaks to something that is, is central to the reality of our lives. Um, I was thinking, what's a good parallel? And I thought, I thought this week of, of a fallen soldier. You know, soldiers go off to war and, and you know, they've been to basic training and they're, they're strong and they're powerful, they're in shape, they're standing tall. You know, there's that sense of glory that we want to give to the soldiers as they march off to war. Um, you know, there's, there's pride in, in, in what they're doing, but... Soldiers sometimes fall in battle, the fallen soldier. They're cut down. The glory is gone. Their strength is gone. And tragically, they're only a shadow of what once was. You understand that? Um, the Bible says in Genesis we were created uh, in God's image to live a spectacular existence with Him. Um, you know, I think that existence that we once knew in Eden... Is, is so dramatically different than what we live now that it is literally hard for us to grasp, to comprehend. And can I say it, the existence that we were created to know and we who are in Christ will know in heaven, somehow beyond our understanding. It's hard for us to get there in our heads as to what we will become again. Um, but the Bible describes, as we talked about, as we jumped into this series last week, a change that happened in the fall. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve disbelieved God's word, just didn't believe it as credible and true, and they disobeyed it as a result. Um, and they were, and we with them, they were toppled. They fell. They fell over. And they became something other than what God had intended for them to become. And they, they, they and we became a shadow of what they and we had once been. Um, last week we looked... We looked at the impact of the fall, and of course, the, 
known and most obvious and primary result of that change that came into people's lives was that we came to a place where sin became natural for us. Um, being tempted to do things and wanting to do things that God said, no, don't go there, uh, is, is just like breathing for us, unfortunately. It's wired into our DNA, we said. Adam and Eve were tempted and they did it, and since then we're tempted and we want to do it. And we don't sometimes naturally believe God's word. God says, do this because I love you, and this is, where, this is the pathway, the means of life. And we go, uh-uh, I think, I think I know better. I'm going this way. And we encounter some pretty negative consequences as a result. But what we are doing in this fallen series is looking at, you know, beyond that even, and maybe a little more deeply and profoundly into our own existence as people, and looking at, the, the, if you would, the daily consequences of living with the fall. As human beings, um, you know, we talked about our thinking being corrupted. It's not fully corrupted, but our thinking is not what it once was. It's been skewed. And when we think wrongly, sometimes we feel long, wrongly. And last week, we talked about the reality that fear entered into the existence of Adam and Eve. They came to a place where they were afraid, and particularly and primarily afraid of God. Something that they had never encountered before. They had never lived in that reality before because previously they had nothing to fear of God. Um, and how fear now is wired into the DNA of human beings and it's a much bigger part of our lives than many of us would even want to recognize and encounter or, 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 or deal with. Um, I'm going to look at another one today, another reality that somehow become part of us it's natural, it's weaved into the, the fabric of our being, and again, it's because of what Adam and Eve once did, uh, and because of the change that came to the human race, all of us. I want to go back to Genesis 3, and we're going to look at the same verses this week, and they'll be the same verses next week, so the curious among you can kind of go over there and try to figure out what we're going to talk about next week, if you like. Um, but they're, they're profound, profound words. If the, the key word la uh, last week was afraid, the key word this week is hide. Note it, will you? I'm going to read to you Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. Adam and Eve have, have had the encounter with the devil. They have believed the devil and not God. They have been deceived and they have fallen into sin. They have eaten the fruit of the tree that God said, don't touch. And then it says this, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? By the way, an incredibly, incredibly important cry of God. <laughs> I wish I had more time to talk about it. Where are you, God calls to all of us. He, Adam, replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. There it is again. I was afraid because I was naked. I want you to picture this. I don't know if you're visual. I'm a very visual person. It's not hard for me to envision things in my mind's eye. But I want you to picture God in the garden coming along to encounter Adam and Eve, calling out, where are you, Adam? Because they weren't there. And I want you to picture Adam and Eve hiding behind a tree so that God won't see them. <laughs> they had never been there before because they had never been afraid of God before. 
There was no need for them to hide before. There was no need for them in any way to, to not in, engage and enjoy this experience of God that they had known. You see, this life that they had known with God was an exceptionally remarkable and beautiful life. Between themselves and God, there was this openness and this love that they loved, and there's this, this joy filled their minds and their hearts and their experience of Him. There was this in, intimate connection with God. They were close. And they just loved being with this one who had created them. But here is a huge, huge change in their experience of God and of life. Um, and that experience comes primarily out of verse 7. I'm going to read it to you again. Because the cause of it is there. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. Again, a new reality for them at their nakedness, so they sewed, sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves. They felt shame. They were, they were now able to look at themselves and they saw something to be ashamed of. New. No reason for shame before. And that's why they, you know, you know created a sort of clothing to cover themselves. And, they, and that's why they hid behind a tree so that God wouldn't see them. Get this. Understand this. God, they didn't want God to look at them, and they didn't want God to discover what they had done, and they didn't want God to know what they had become. What an incredibly different experience of God. And in essence, what had happened, and what was happening in that instance, is that they had separated themselves from God, if you would. Um, you know, they, they came to that place where ultimately God in his holiness had to drive them from the Garden of Eden. And he set an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance to the gate and he said, you can't come back in here. You see the separation? It's, it, it's communicated in the hiding, it's, it's communicated in the fear, and ultimately it's communicated in their expulsion and their separation now from God, the condition of humanity without Jesus. The reality of what they live, the reality, my friends, of what we live. You see the picture? Now I'd like to suggest to you this morning that in their hiding behind that tree, they began to live a life of isolation from God, separation from Him, and, by the way, from one another, as we'll talk about. For once there was that intimate, connected fellowship, where once there was that, that harmony and that love and that closeness, now they were separated from their creator. Now they were separated from the living God. And I want to tell you, it is this which characterizes the lives of human beings still today. It does. We're born in that condition. We're born in, in that reality. And out of fear of what God and others uh, would come to think, these people hid themselves um, from him, my friends, we hide ourselves from him so that God and so others won't see us out of shame. And again, I want to suggest to you at a deep, deep level, we tend to live our lives, and here's the word of the day, alone. Again, like last week, I'll suggest some people might say, well, Chris, I don't live alone. I have God in my life. I've become a believer. I've come to that place where I've opened my life to Christ and I've confessed my sin before him and he's there. And I have my family and I have my friends. I have my church family. I'm not alone. I don't live that way. I don't think that. But I want us to look, look deeply again into our hearts 
I want us to think quite profoundly this morning about how we do live. Scripture is saying, my friends, that in, in this natural condition, we're afraid of people seeing us for who we really are. We're afraid of people seeing our sinfulness and our brokenness. You know, the things that are in our lives which we could potentially feel shame over if, in fact, people knew. And as a result, we let people see what we want them to see. We project an image of ourselves that is positive and good. False uh, self, it's called, it has become known as to keep people from actually seeing what is inside us. Um, I think I've told you this before, but when I was in high school, I think it was particularly in grade nine, my friends used to tease me. Because between the seven classes, I think we had term uh, schedule then, not, not, um, not, not just having four like kids tend to today in the semestered system. But between each of my seven classes, I would go to the bathroom and I'd pull out my little comb and I'd comb my hair. Poor little beaner Chris, right? Had to look good. And I'd get teased because people thought, like, Chris, what's the big deal? I didn't know what the big deal, but you know what I was doing? I was coiffing <laughs> this image that I presented to the world. I wanted people to see me, and I, when they looked at me, I wanted to look good. This was the image that I presented to the world, and I did it in such a fashion so that people ultimately wouldn't know the real me. Anybody not relate to that one? You know, when I was, uh, another example of this is when I was ordained. We were in the old building across the road, you know, down in the middle of Interkip, and we had the service, of course. That's where, by the way, if you don't know, a minister becomes a minister officially. And um, we had refreshments in the basement afterwards, and, and, and after a while, uh, somebody said, listen, let's share thoughts about Chris. There were family there from, and, and friends from, like, years, and, and, of course, the congregation was there who really didn't know me, I suppose. But, you know, the opportunity was given to people to say some nice things about me, and some folks did. Um... Yeah, very few, but they say, yeah. No, I'm kidding. It was, it, it was nice. I want to tell you, I was in a brand new suit. My hair was looking good. I was looking good. And there was a minister there named Charlotte Stewart. Charlotte had been a supervisor for me in an internship that I had done in Toronto. And uh, these are the words that, that she said. She said, look at him. She did this, look at him. And she said, he looks perfect but he's not. I'm thinking, hey, Charlotte, what are you talking about? <laughs> I want to tell you, I didn't know what she was talking about, honestly, then, but I know now. This image that I was projecting to, this wor to the world, this, 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 this persona that I had created uh, to, to allow people to see what I wanted them to see without sharing with them the real me. You know what I'm talking about? Um, you see, I was hiding. A lot of my life I've hidden. And I'm still hiding to some degree. It's part of us. It's the power of the fall. It's, it's one of the profound impacts of sin breaking into creation and twisting and distorting this thing that God had formed in us and in the world, in our relationships, in our relationship, of course, with him, ultimately, my friends, we all do this. I was on a university campus yesterday, and, you know, it's possible to kind of create 
this, this, this false self, this facade, this, this projection of, of, you know, the intelligent university student, you know, the, the glasses and the haircuts and how kids carry, the young people, students carry themselves. They seem oh so young. They really do. The older I get, the younger they become. But, you know, I'm, I'm the bright, intelligent one, sophisticated and educated, right? That's a persona. That's who I am. Sometimes, you know, it's the, the athlete uh, who is particularly skilled very often in athletics. That becomes their persona, their projection, their image, which is created. Sometimes it's the fun guy, you know, the, the guy who's the life of the party or the gal. That's who they say they are. That's what they communicate to the world. Sometimes it's the successful business person, you know, this is my identity. We talked about identity uh, before and after Christmas. This is the stuff of identity which we choose, but it's not the real me. And it's not the real you. Key to it all is a refusal to do what Adam refused to do. God comes to him and God says to, to him, you know, what's going on? Listen to verses 11 and 12 of Genesis chapter 3. Who told you? This is immediately following the verses that we have just read previously. And Adam says, I, I was hiding, you know. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. <laughs> you know, why are you hiding, God says. And Adam's basic response is, it's not my fault, it's her fault. And by the way, it was you who gave her to me, so it's your fault too, not me. Like, like. Does that strike anyone as maybe part of living for you? Part of life? A refusal to admit what, what we really do in life and a, and, and, and a natural tendency to blame other people for it? And then God turns to Eve. Let's see what Eve does with this. <clears throat> verse, uh, verse 13. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? Now here's her response. The serpent deceived me, she replies. That's why I ate it, not me. That devil, by the way, whom you created and put in the garden, same implication. Not me. It's not my fault. I'm not going to admit any sin here. And, and, the, and the tendency that's wired into the human being, it's, it's, it's in the DNA, it's just part of who we are, is this total to, uh, refusal to admit our actions before God or anybody else for that matter. You know, and in blaming Adam, I want to tell you this, drove himself from his spouse. How many people who are married here have ever been criticized by their spouse, blamed for things? You know, that really leads to kind of a close, intimate, connected, loving experience, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. It drives people from one another. It keeps us from encountering anything of closeness and of intimacy. You see, here is a denial of, the, of truth about the self, a refusal to see even in themselves who they really are and to admit it to God and to others. And I want to tell you, we carry this on, and, and, and the result of this dynamic reality which has taken, it just flooded into our lives and taken us over is isolation of self from God and from one another. And I want to tell you, we have the tendency to live alone at a deep, deep level. I don't want you to think up here. I want you to think deep down here. 
now let's look at their relationship with God. A lot of people, and this is before anyone might come to faith in Jesus, and as I've said, believe in him by faith, uh, invite him into our lives, seek the forgiveness of sin, all the things Adam and Eve didn't do. Know the forgiveness of God. A lot of people, when they think about God, it's all about how good they are. It's all about living a life that is, you know, a, you know a, a good life before God so that ultimately someday you might hope he'd let you into his heaven. And if you were to ask people about, you know, you know, that dynamic, they would list all the good things in life. They would talk about their moral accomplishments and their sacrifices for other people. They would, they would look at all the positive things. My friends, I want to tell you, such people never find a relationship with God intimate and loving or otherwise, because they have not dealt with the reality of the sin condition of their hearts. And then they don't even get into a relationship with God, never mind get his heaven. But let's take it a little bit farther. Even people who know and believe in Christ. You know, we, we come to this, this place of belief in God. We come to this place of, unlike Adam and Eve, by the way, of recognizing our sin and admitting our sin. And we're given forgiveness and we're restored in our relationship with God. But I want to tell you, there's something that, that, that still sometimes works in us, often deep down. And it is this, that we live as if God is not there. We live as if we are alone. You know, for example, when difficult times come, <clears throat> so often our instant reaction is, you know, the tough times, the challenging times, the, 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 the times where we move into fear and, and, and struggle, the, the, the instant reaction in the human being so often is, I have to handle this, I have to take control of the situation, I need to sort things out, it's as if it's all up to me. Self-reliance is part of us, and we act as if God is not with us to help us. Never do that. And when we fear, <laughs> think of it this way. <clears throat> Why would anybody be afraid <clears throat> in a time of actual danger if they knew, if they really knew to the core of their being that God was with them? God was there, that God, the eternal power of the universe, was, loved them enough and had promised to take care of them no matter what their circumstances. Why would any of us be afraid? Let me, let me take you back to the illustration I used last week when we were actually talking about fear. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the Israelites, the people of God in that time, were at the border of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his armies are coming you know, literally riding hard, pursuing them to destroy them. And the Bible says they were terrified. Terrified. I want to tell you that wasn't rational. Because they had experienced God in such profound ways that they should have known better. You know, it was the power of God, the action of God through Moses to, to weaken the power of Egypt and Pharaoh so that ultimately he said, I give up. You can go. I, I can't take it anymore. The plagues and all that has happened. No, go. Get out of here. God had acted. God had shown his presence and his power and his love, and he had freed them. Then they get into the desert, and they have no food to eat. Hundreds of thousands of people. And God gives them manna, miraculously, day after day after day, God present, God providing for them. And then they had no water in various instances, and Moses took the staff as commanded, and he hit the rock. And out of rock comes water so they can survive. Remarkable experiences of God. And here they are, another one of those places where they need... <clears throat> need to be saved. 
what, what do they do? Oh, we're done for. We're going to all going to die. As if they are alone. Even though God gave them the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke, even though God had done such incredible things for them, functionally, if I had asked them, is God with you? Is God your God? You know, do you believe it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But they're terrified. Why? Because they think they're alone. course God comes once again in his grace and his power and he saves them and he catapults them toward the promised land how about this one Jesus is asleep in the back of a boat and a storm blows up he's been engaged in significant ministry he's exhausted they're crossing the sea and 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 this huge storm comes up it's typical of the region excuse me and the disciples get like incredibly worried and they're bailing like maniacs. You know, they think they're going to drown. Oh, we're going to die. Work harder, work harder, work harder. And they get themselves into this, <clears throat> this, this incredibly difficult place in life, all concerned and, 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 and terrified. And in the end, they say, oh, we got to wake Jesus up. We, we got to do, wake him up, wake him up. This is, this is, this is the scenario from Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Guess who was resting peacefully in the presence and in the care, in the presence and in the care of his father? Jesus. He was able to sleep. But the disciples woke him up shouting. It's not just saying, oh, Jesus, you know, Jesus can. No, they're yelling at the man. They're yelling at the son of God. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? So typical of us in those difficult, painful, scary moments. Don't you care? Why have you let this happen? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the water, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, these guys, as much as they had spent time with Jesus and as much as they had seen him do remarkable, profound things, exercise the power of God in their lives, even though God the Son was right there in the boat with him, (laughs) had no faith at a deep level. Um, All they had to do (laughs) in faith was, uh, Jesus, could you help us? We're We're in real trouble. No fear. Just, can you help us? We know you love us. We know you love us. We know that you're with us. We know that you can handle this one. Would you take care of it for us? That would have been an expression of faith. See, here's the deal. We live what we believe. Get that? We live what we believe. If I were to ask you, like I said, I could ask the Israelite people or even the disciples in the boat, do you believe God? Do you believe he's, he, he loves you? Do you believe he's with you? Do you believe he has the power and the capacity and the desire to take care of you? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> My friends, I want to tell you, we live what we believe. It's not what we say. It's how we live. And what too many of us believe at a deep level is that we're alone. And in spite of what we've been taught or what the Bible says, we don't think God's there, that he loves us or that he's able. You know, this whole idea of living alone spills over from our relationship with God. You know, Adam and Eve hiding from God, separated from him, cast from Eden, spills over into our relationships. 
How many couples, married couples, live together but live alone? Isolated from one another. How many couples live um, as Adam and Eve lived after sin invaded their lives, their thinking, their hearts, their motivations and desires and so forth? Uh, critical of one another, condemning one another, pointing fingers and thus separating each other from one another. How many people live in that critical environment which creates an environment that really isn't safe so that we can be truly vulnerable about who we truly are with one another? And how many couples live without intimacy, true intimacy, the capacity to be open and to share the reality of our brokenness and our sins and our fears. Why is it so hard in, marriage, in a marriage relationship to get to the place of saying, I'm sorry for what I have done? Why is it so hard? And why is it so easy to point a finger and this is what you have done and condemn? You see the dynamic? <laughs> Not only do we separate ourselves from God, we separate ourselves from one another unable somehow to be vulnerable about, about, about the reality of who we are, and as a result, unable to experience the intimacy that God created marriage for us to know. How about the reality of being the church and relationships within the church? You know, it's possible to do church alone in isolation, But it's also possible to do church in close, intimate relationship with one another, vulnerable about our stuff, which is your way of doing church. Pop in on a Sunday morning, enjoy the music, the speaker, go home. Connect with God maybe a little more. But this stuff, uh-uh, not going there. Scary. No time for that. No priority in my life for that. No interest. You see, it's really easy to do church. Even life groups, by the way, in missional communities in this way where we show up, but we only show to one another the good stuff. You know? We talk about our abilities, we talk about our strengths, we talk about our accomplishments, but my brokenness, my sin, my weaknesses, my failings? No. That would be a dangerous thing. I'm afraid of that, and I'm going to hide behind a tree. And I'm going to stay there. <clears throat> Let me tell you this. <clears throat> read, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look, read the story of Jesus. Look at the religious people that Jesus battled with on a fairly continuous basis, sometimes with real anger, because these religious leaders were keeping people from God and they were displaying a religious experience that was entirely contrary to what God wanted for, for his people. This is what religious people do. They hide behind trees. They hide one another the, from the real stuff that's going on in their hearts. And they project this image of, I'm, all the, I'm, I'm okay, nothing wrong with me. And they refuse to get honest about their sin. They refuse to get honest about their failures and their weaknesses. We, we can refuse to become honest about our brokenness. You know when we are really engaging biblical community? It's when we are sharing our sin with one another. And inviting people in to the reality of who we really are, that they might encourage us and strengthen us and pray for us. It's when we're sharing our struggles and our failures with people. It's when we get to a place of being vulnerable enough to trace, 
to trust the love of God, not only in our relationship with him, but with one another, so that we become people who refuse to pro project this false image of ourselves. What the church is called to be is a group of people, a community of people living <clears throat> in the faith uh, this, this thing called Christianity, recognizing that it's not about me and about my good behaviors, but what it is in its essence and in its core. It's about God and his grace and his forgiveness and, and about the, the reality of sin in my life, which he and we together need to deal with. <clears throat> my friends, when we really believe that church is not a place um, for people to live the lie, that they're okay, and when we come to a place where we're willing to recognize together openly with one another that we're not okay <laughs> and then we're going to start to do exactly what scripture calls us to do and that is to confess your sins to one another you could say to me chris you want me to show up church maybe not like right here i'm not going to call you to confess your sins here that's not quite appropriate right but there are places life group people can you really take this to heart missional community people can you ask yourself if this is your experience but we show up in church and we have created such an environment of grace and of love and of forgiveness, an environment where we recognize the truth about human beings that we don't have to hide anymore. <clears throat> we come to a place where we say, the love of, and the grace of God which has allowed me <clears throat> to come into relationship with him. And if you would step out from behind the tree to encounter the reality of God's love and forgiveness and grace, you know, that, that environment which we create as a church becomes the same reality so much so that we don't have to hide behind any trees or any projections or anything at all that we know we can come to a place where the people of God are like our God and where we can be open and honest about our brokenness, our weakness, our woundedness, our sin and our failures. We, we can stop hiding from one another. We can stop pretending that we all have to be okay because we know we're not okay. My friends, I want to tell you, when we, we get to that place, biblical, true biblical community becomes alive, and it is in that place that God comes alive, and it is in that place that healing happens in our hearts, and it's in that place that we find the spiritual resource to overcome and break the power of sin in our lives so that we are set free from it. <clears throat> See, in essence, what we need to do as I have said, is we have to step out from behind the tree. And we have to recognize that Jesus Christ came into this world to die for my sin, that it might be forgiven, and it is gone. We've sung about this today. And we have to recognize that Jesus Christ took to himself my shame so that I don't have to be ashamed anymore. And I can come into the presence of God, and I can come into the presence of God's people, and I can go, here I am. This is who I am broken, wounded, and desperately in need of Jesus, and desperately in need of God's love and grace, and desperately in need of your love and grace in my life. I want to ask you this, this morning, <clears throat> who among us really believes this? We live what we believe. Who among of us, who among us, first of all, has entered into a relationship with Jesus? You see, there may be people here today who haven't. I'm not talking about whether you're religious or not. I don't, it's not about whether you come to church. 
It's a matter of coming out from behind the tree and saying, God, this is who I really am. And I'm going to trust you in your grace and in your love. And I'm going to ask for your forgiveness. And I'm going to receive it. And my sin is going to be taken from me. And I'm going to live from this point without shame. But I ask you to come into my life and forgive my, my sin because I want to get back to that pre-sin, pre-fall Eden experience. I want to know you and I want to love you. And I, I want to be like Adam and Eve once were who just love to be in the presence of God, their creator, who ran toward it, not, a, not away from it, who celebrated it with joy and with gladness. My friends, I want to tell you God wants to take us back to Eden. And I want to tell you that's where we're headed in heaven. But we can live it now. We can. We really can. And I want to tell you too, <clears throat> though, but for those who have entered into that dynamic, I want to tell you, I want you to know this because it's biblical truth, and I want you, by the grace of God, by His Spirit, to allow the truth to go from your head into the deepest core of your being. If you, if you are in Christ you are not alone. No matter what your circumstances, no matter where you may be, no matter what you have done, no matter what you may someday do, you will never, ever be alone because the Lord is with you. And this God that the Bible speaks of so uh, profoundly, He loves you. And He is powerful, and He has promised to take care of you and provide you. No matter what your circumstance, challenge, fearful, difficulty, danger you may face, He will take care of it if, you, if you'll just wake Him up and ask Him to. Ella, the boat, right? I'm going to read a text for you. Isaiah 43, verses 1 to the first uh, sentence in verse 5. Jacob and Israel referred to then the people of God. Now the people of God are those who claim the name of Christ. So understand yourself in this. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I want to tell you, now, my friends, we understand the ransom having been paid on the cross of Christ. Jesus has paid the price for our freedom, for our salvation. I have called you by name, God says, and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. The word of God for the people of God, if we will believe it. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, and then speaking into their context, I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for, your, for yours. Why? Because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. This is God speaking to you, my friends. It's God right now, right here speaking to you, telling you the truth. And then he concludes with this. I'm just going to read the first sentence. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. That's the word of God for you today. I believe, I hope, I pray. For I am with you. (sighs) 
So my question for you today, very simply, my friends, is this. Are you willing to step out from behind a tree? First of all, with God, if you haven't done it already. Are you willing to do what Adam and Eve refused to do and take responsibility for themselves and their own actions and what they had become? Trust God enough to get honest with them and say, I'm sorry, and I confess my sin, and I pray you will forgive me for my sin. If you haven't done it, it's the beginning place in the life, the spiritual life of a Christian. It's the beginning place of faith, if you would. And for those of us who have stepped out behind the tree with God, are we willing then to do it with one another? Learn vulnerability and honest, honesty in our relationships. Are we willing to get real? Can I ask life groups? I'd love to ask as your pastor, every single life group that's going to meet this week and or, or next, can you ask yourself the question, how vulnerable are we? And how do we take the next step? And can I ask you at core to consider the profound and, and remarkable and dramatic truth that you are not alone. You never have been and you never will be. And that there is a God in heaven who deeply loves you, calls you precious, he calls you his own, says that you are mine. Will you dare to believe that he is with you and that you don't need to be afraid anymore? Let me ask just in conclusion, how many people long for this reality to be true in their lives? There are a lot of what I call core beliefs or core needs that we have. Every single one of them is met in God. One of the core needs that we have is a need for safety and security. It is the Lord and God alone who will provide it to you. So today, my friends, believe what God has spoken here. Trust it. And then live it. Let's pray. Lord, um, <clears throat> the reality is we're born into the human race. We're born with predetermined tendencies and realities. One of those, God, is to be people who are afraid and who hide what we are, what we do, what we have become. God, help us if we have never really encountered you, if we've never opened up our lives to you, realize that you are a God of love, <clears throat> you are a God of forgiveness and a God of grace. And for anyone who will turn to him, <laughs> that's what they encounter. And it's still today the God of heaven cries to us as he cried to Adam and Eve, where are you? Longing again for relationship. So Father, I pray for the people who may be here who have never truly opened their hearts and their lives to Christ that they'll do it today. In confession, seeking forgiveness, finding relationship with him and you through him. And God, for those of us who know you, Oh, Father, at a deep level, we need change. We need to have the effects of the fall overcome still, whereby we come to that place where we step out from behind the tree and hide no more, and we get pretty comfortable with the recognizing the truth of who we are. 
Lord, all of us here are broken people. All of us here are sinful people. All of us here have things that if we chose, we could be ashamed of. But Lord, in Christ, our sin is gone and our shame is gone and we are free to know the love and the grace of God from you and through one another. So Lord, I pray for our life groups and I pray for our missional communities. I pray for those places where people gather together and I pray they won't just be showing each other the good stuff and I pray they won't even just be learning the Bible. I pray that we will move into a deep experience of biblical community as we get real with one another about our brokenness. For there, Lord, Christ comes alive and your power is known and people are made whole. So God, lead us toward this step by step. Take away the fear. Take away the lie, God. <laughs> that we might just embrace the truth. We might know you in your fullness and in your power and in your grace and in your goodness. God, take us back to Eden. Let us run towards you. Let us find joy in your presence. Let our deepest needs be met in you as nothing else will. Thank you for this word today, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus and his work on the cross. Thank you, our Father, that we are yours. In Christ.